Anything Ghost, number 290. Welcome to Anything Ghost. I'm Lex Wall. Anything Ghost is a place where people share their personal paranormal experiences, aka true ghost stories, and I share them with you on the show. I also allow local ghost legends. If you have a story you want to share, send it to lex at anythingghost.com or fill out the form at anythingghost.com. There are several great ghost stories waiting in the wings for Anything Ghost number 290. first story is from Perla in Indio, California. Ghost at the local movie theater. It was the summer of 2004, and I had just graduated from high school. One day, my sister and her then-boyfriend invited me to watch a movie at our local theater with them. I happily agreed and went, but they wanted to watch a different movie that I wasn't into, so they allowed me to watch a different one by myself. We went our separate ways, as their movie was starting very soon, and mine was starting a little later, so I had some time to pass at the movie theater arcade. That's when I had my first physical ghostly encounter. The arcade was empty, so I had it all to myself, and I went toward my all-time favorite dancing game, and played a few rounds to entertain myself before my movie. While I was dancing, I felt a sudden tap on my left shoulder. I quickly turned around because I thought it was my friend or maybe my sister. But when I did, no one was there. I was a bit confused as I looked around the empty room. I could have sworn I felt a tap. The tap didn't feel light. It was almost as if someone wanted to grab my attention. I could feel the pressure of it on my left shoulder. At first I thought maybe my shoulder was twitching while I was halfway through the game, but it didn't really feel that way. It seriously felt like there were fingers tapping on my shoulder. After my movie ended, I met up with my sister and her boyfriend and asked if she had been at the arcade earlier and if she needed something from me. She told me no, that they were watching the movie the whole time. She really isn't the prankster type and had no significant facial reaction when she replied. And if it was a friend, I would have seen them later or had gotten a phone call about it. Eighteen years later, I still firmly believe that it wasn't an actual person, but a wandering spirit at our local movie theater. And the second story could have been from Ken in Los Angeles or Jamie in London, but it's not. It's from Joe in Westerville, Ohio. Neighborhood hauntings. 
I have two sets of stories from people in my neighborhood who I'm either friends with or work with. The first is from a neighbor, Rick, who lives nearby. Rick and his wife recently purchased a 100-year-old home in the historic part of town. He experienced two odd experiences several months after moving into their newly renovated house. One evening, he laid down on his bed in the master bedroom, resting after a long day. From where he was lying, he could turn his head to the side and look into the bathroom. He did so and realized he'd left the light on. Not wanting to get up and turn it off, he said something to the effect of, Well, that sucks. No sooner had the words left his mouth when the light in the bathroom clicked off. Stunned, Rick got up and checked the switch. It was off, making sure that the bulb hadn't burned out or that the switch was malfunctioning. The light was still working, as was the switch, which was in the off position when he checked it. They have brand new flip-style switches there. The bathroom was empty, and he was home alone at the time. A few weeks later, Rick was again in the master bedroom, folding some clothes. He was leaning over the end of the bed, using it as a work surface. There was a wall directly behind him. Suddenly, he felt someone slide behind him, as if they were trying to squeeze between him and the wall to get to the bathroom. Assuming it was his wife, he thought nothing of it. Until he realized he had heard no sound. He looked up and found both the bathroom and the bedroom empty. His wife hadn't even been in the house at the time. The second set of stories is from a local business that rents a historic home as an office. The house was built in the 1880s of brick. It is quite an attractive structure. I'm a handyman and was doing some repair work one day. There's a narrow staircase leading down to an unfinished basement. At the top is a door with a square, heavy padded carpet beneath it. I'm assuming it was installed to hide damage to the wood floor. I needed to get into the basement, but noticed that a cheap padlock had been installed on the door. Sarah apologized and unlocked it for me. After doing so, she explained that for weeks after moving in, she would come in each morning to find the basement door ajar a few inches. While locking up one evening, she jokingly yelled, Stop opening the door! down the basement steps. The next morning, she found the basement door all the way open. And remember that carpet I mentioned? The door rubbed on it, and you would really have to push the door hard to open it all the way. I know, because I tried. There was absolutely no way that door swung all the way open on its own. The office has a security system with cameras on the front and back doors which are the only two entrances. Sarah checked the footage and found that no one had entered or left the property between her leaving in the evening and coming back the next morning. She went out that day and brought back the padlock. Sarah also told me that they often hear faint footsteps upstairs, small ones that she described as children running up and down the upper hall. 
The upper rooms have been converted to offices, and in one there are two large office chairs. These chairs are old and heavy, and though they do swivel, they don't do so easily like modern chairs. Sarah said that she'll often find these chairs turned toward one another, even though they haven't been left that way the night before. Many of the staff have reported seeing flashes of lights in the upper rooms after the building has been locked up for the evening. I live near this property, but haven't yet noticed any of these lights myself. Sarah showed me one final detail before I left. In the basement is a large electric floor cooler that has a top opening lid. It's massive, and judging by its design, it's probably from the 40s. It's the largest cooler like this that I've ever seen. Usually they're four or five feet long. This one is around seven to eight feet, just long enough and wide enough for a body. Apparently, neither the current owner or the previous ones, who owned the house for 30 years, have opened it. There's a large stack of wood on top of it. It's so large there is no way to get it out of the basement. My best guess is that it was brought in via some cellar stairs before a small addition was built on the back. And I got a kind email from Bob in Winthrop, Maine. And he said he's been a long-time listener. And he thinks it, it lends a lot to the show how I allow people to either have me read their story or self-narrate the story and then play my original music. Uh, thanks, Ken. And then he ended the letter, in the end, that may account as much as anything for Anything Ghost maintaining its appeal among such a disparate audience of grateful listeners. With all my heartfelt respect and appreciation, you can certainly count me among them. Take care. And it's from Bob in Maine. Thank you, Bob. After hearing Joe's email, you may be saying to yourself, what is all this noise about an Anything Ghost VIP group? Allow me to clear that up for you. Anything Ghost has been telling people's true experiences with ghosts since January of 2006, so there is a huge library of scary, true stories to keep you awake night after night. But to access this complete library, you'll need to pay a one-time membership fee. The archive is housed on a website where you can either stream or download MP3s. So do yourself a favor. Check out the Anything Ghost VIP group before it's too late. Go to anythingghost.com and then go to the Join VIP link and listen to a plethora of personal paranormal p p stories. That's anythingghost.com and Join VIP. The next story is from David in Chicago, Illinois. Dog Ghosts. I submitted a story before the pandemic about my brother John calling my aunt and grandma. Today I'm submitting one that is a bit more fresh and personal. I had two Yorkies named Cheekies and Bill. Both were girls, and yes, the girl was Bill. She was more of a tomboy and loved to play rough. They were both small, and Bill would love when I'd bark at her like I was a big dog. She would yelp and run to the closet and find any toy she could find, begging me to chase her. They were great dogs, and they always had hilarious and different personalities since they were three months old, all the way up to the point they were put down. 
It was February, just before the pandemic, and I was about to head to Japan for the Tokyo Marathon, which was eventually canceled, a sign of the awful year to come. But Bill got incredibly sick, so we took him to the vet and found out she had cancer. The vet advised we put her down in no more than a month. We made an incredibly difficult decision to put Bill down in about a week so we could enjoy some final days with her. She had enough medication so she acted like her normal self, but we knew if we delayed it any further the cancer would make her passing so much worse. About five days before we scheduled to put Bill down, Cheekies got very sick. She would not get out of her bed. She would not eat. Eventually, when she started making cries in pain, we knew it was her time and the vet agreed. So we put her down three days before her sister Bill went down. It was almost as if she knew her sister was going to go down. Cheekies was 15 and Bill was 13, so they lived long, happy lives. I left for Japan the day after Bill passed and came home to what would be the year unlike any other we experienced, COVID. Over the next few months, my travel and the changes from COVID were a distraction, but eventually the pain of their loss started to set in. I thought about them often and looked into getting a new dog, but it would be hard to find a dog like either of them, let alone two. Sometime in May, I was having a vivid dream about them. In the dream, I was sitting in a chair with my hand down to my side as they were shoving each other, fighting for my pets from my hand. I picked up Cheekies and held her like a football and threw a ball to Bill. This was how I normally spent my time with them. I woke up in the middle of the night in such a pleasant mood. It was a beautiful dream and felt as if they were really there. As I laid in bed, I heard a very intense whooshing sound coming from either in or out of my windows. I thought, wow, it's very windy out, only remembering I didn't have my windows open. So then I thought, ah, it must be the air conditioner. But I have not had my air conditioner or heat on in months. That was very odd to me. So I sat up in bed to see what was going on. As soon as I did that, I heard the unmistakable sound of two small dogs running from under my bed, out of my bedroom, down the hall, and out my front door. I even heard Bill's little yelp she would do. I was frozen. I literally pinched myself to make sure I was awake and still not in a dream. I then sent a very late text to my sisters saying I have a crazy story to tell them in case I forgot or believed the pinch was also in my dream. My family and I do believe they paid me a visit. Crazy enough, it happened about a month after that, and a few months after that again. The dream of them, the loud whooshing sound coming from under the windows, and the pitter-pattering out of my room. I miss them dearly, and I love that they paid me visits to ease my pain. And the story is from Sandra in Tennessee. Cemetery Ghost Communication. I found your podcast at the beginning of February, quickly became a VIP member, and have been binge listening to the archived episodes 
I started with the suggested episodes for new listeners, and now I'm working my way to the first podcasts on. I truly enjoy the stories like these, and they really scare me sometimes. I want to share an experience that I had back in the summer of 2009. I was 18, had recently graduated high school, and was getting ready to start my first semester of college. I had a group of friends at the time that included my nephew, who was actually the same age as me, and some of our mutual friends we grew up with. We had recently gotten into the habit of going ghost hunting from time to time, visiting spooky places we had heard about or knew of. We had also taken to bringing along a Ouija board for those added thrills. Of course, when you have a group of all teens of various ages, it was always hard to tell if what we experienced using the board was real or not. And most of the time, someone would admit to messing with us and moving the planchette. One night that summer, we decided to visit a local cemetery at the suggestion of one of the kids' stepdads who wanted to tag along with us that night. We had taken two cars since we had a decent-sized group of about six people with us, including my nephew. When we arrived at the vacant cemetery, it had been dark for a little while. We parked the cars, one behind each other, in the cemetery driveway. We made our way through the open part of the chain-link fence and on toward the middle of the cemetery. We took out the homemade Ouija board, and since it was mine, I explained to a couple of the newcomers some of the precautions that must be taken to use the board. The planchette was not to be left unattended on the board. It was not allowed to move off the edge of the board. And when we went to the end of the session, we must always move it to goodbye to sign off. Everyone understood, and we sat down in a circle to get started. There were too many people to all comfortably use the board at the same time, so a couple of people volunteered to spectate for a while, while the rest of us signed onto the board, my nephew and I among them. It started out like most sessions we had, with us asking if anyone was present, what their name was, the basics. Most of the time, the responses we would get would be pretty much unintelligible, unless it was a yes or no question. We suspected someone in the group was messing with us, as usual, but no one volunteered that it was them. Let me preface this next part by saying we probably did know better, but nothing truly unexplained had ever happened on our ghost hunting ventures, so I really think the intent was just to be funny and to add some excitement to our session. My nephew then asked the question, Do you want to possess one of us? I shot back at him a look of disapproval, but the words were already out, and the planchette slowly moved, not to yes, not to no, but up the board toward the top edge where he was sitting across from me. As it neared the edge, I spoke up and said, don't let it go off the board. The planchette didn't stop. It stuck to the board slightly as we had to shove it back away from the edge. I think that's when we started to think something really may have been there with us. Nothing like that had ever happened before, and we were scared, so we quickly signed off. What happened next, I will never forget. We all stood up to stretch our legs and talk about what had just happened. Of course, the first question asked was who in the group had been messing with us, but everyone insisted it was not them. 
We were all a bit shaken but excited, since this type of thing is really what we craved but never experienced. We stood talking about it, trying to decide whether we wanted to continue in that same spot since we had gotten some good action there, or to move to another spot in the cemetery. We were all still gathered in a small circle around where we had just been sitting. Just as we were saying how the spot we were in had given us a good reaction, and maybe we should stay there, about thirty feet away from us, in that small cemetery, a headstone tipped over, falling off its pedestal. We were alone in the cemetery, and none of us had left the circle. For a split second, we looked at each other in shock and terror, not believing what had just happened, but knowing we had just witnessed it. In a matter of moments, the six of us were in the cars and backing out of the cemetery driveway. After spending most weekends for the past month or two, hoping we'd have an encounter, we finally got our wish. I had never been so scared in my life and I think that was probably the last time I used a Ouija board or went ghost hunting. After that happened, I took my board back home to my mom's and shoved it up under my dresser. It didn't stay there long, though, because I kept feeling drawn to it, almost hyper-focused. I'm not sure if that was because of how scared I had gotten at the cemetery, or if I was being drawn to it for another reason. But either way, I took it outside and tossed it in the trash. Later on, I was very freaked to find it back out of the trash and in the garage. Turns out my mom saw it in the trash and thought it was a good piece of wood. Definitely not, and it was permanently disposed of. I'm 31 now, and I have not experienced anything I consider to be paranormal since then, but I still thoroughly enjoy stories and movies about others' experiences. Since finding this podcast, I found myself craving first-hand paranormal experiences again. But I'm not sure how far I'm willing to take it. I know some things are a lot easier to tap into than they are to tap out of. And I worry that if I allow myself to be more receptive, something not so friendly might accept my invitation. John Singer Sargent's London Ghost, 1925. John Singer Sargent was born in Florence, France, to American parents. He was schooled in painting in Paris, but by 1884, following a scandalous reaction to a painting he'd created in Paris, he moved to Chelsea, London, to a home on Tite Street, where he set up his studio. That house had once been occupied by the artist James Whistler, whose most famous work was Whistler's Mother. After moving to London, Sargent's career blossomed, and he became an internationally famous portrait painter with a remarkable technical facility. Many said he was so precise, it was as if he could draw with a brush. Sargent was very active and popular after moving to London, but he passed away on April 14, 1925, from heart disease, at his home on Tite Street in Chelsea, England. One of John Singer Sargent's close friends was an artist named Alfred Everett Orr, a New York-born portrait painter who did illustration work for the Saturday Evening Post in San Gabriel, California. By all appearances, Orr would travel and spend time at Sargent's home on Tite Street in Chelsea, England. 
On November 23, 1925, about six months after the death of Sargent, Sir Charles Higgum, a patron of Alfred Orr, who claimed Orr could be a greater artist than Rembrandt, purchased Sargent's home so it could be used by Alfred Orr. Alfred Orr could paint in the atmosphere of the great master, John Singer Sargent. So Orr moved into the house on Tite Street with his wife Hazel and their son and daughter. You can see a photo of the house as it is today on anythingghost.com along with this episode. Or if you're in the VIP group, I'll have it posted there as well. All was quiet the first year living there. But by August 1927, Alfred and his wife began complaining about ongoing paranormal activity at the house. They would hear heavy footsteps in an otherwise empty home, as well as doorknobs turning on their own with nobody outside the door. And it wasn't just them. Visitors would hear the heavy footsteps as well. Orr said he was neither a spiritualist or a skeptic, and he said he could not either affirm or deny that it was the ghost of John Singer Sargent who was haunting the house, the house where Sargent had lived when he rose to fame. Orr said he frequently heard footsteps that sounded like those of John Sargent's heavy tread. One night, Orr awoke to see the doorknob of his bedroom door turn all the way to one side and back again. Orr immediately got up, but after he and the butler searched the home, they found no evidence of anyone having been there. That bedroom where Orr was sleeping was the same one that Sergeant passed away in, and Orr and his wife heard the footsteps inside the bedroom as well. Alfred Orr, who had been born in 1886 in New York, appears to have remarried a lady named Isabel by December of 1931. And I couldn't find anything about how Orr died. Um, all evidence of his life kind of got swept away after, the, after 1931. But anyway, that's the ghost of a portrait artist, John Singer Sargent, in London, England, on Tite Street. Ladies and gentlemen, the golden age of anything ghost. Hello, Lex and listeners. Uh, this is Lee from Delaware. I'm a truck driver, and uh, Lex, I, I found your podcast about a week ago, and I enjoy it a lot. Um, it's kind of hard sometimes finding a, an interesting enough podcast out there, but uh, I found yours, and you do great work, and keep it up. Um, I've got a story that uh, I can share with you. Um uh, it's about a haunted truck, <laughs> uh, nonetheless. Um, I know you've all seen Christine, and this isn't uh, on that kind of level, but uh, it was weird uh, in my little world just the same. Um, this goes back to July of 2004. Um, 
I was sitting at home for a couple of months. Um, I took about a three-month hiatus from over-the-road driving just because it was, uh, at the time, burning me out and um, needed time to sit around and think. I had a friend call me. We worked together at a company uh, back in 2000. And uh, since then, he went on to uh, follow his dream, and he took over his father's business, running tow trucks and a recovery service out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I was surprised to hear from him, and we were catching up, and this, that, and the other thing. And he goes to asking me if if I wanted a one-time recovery job. And uh, I asked him what it all entailed, and uh, he told me basically, you know, it's not a repo or anything. Wouldn't there's no uh, <laughs> risk of life and limb on this one. It's just go get this truck that um, he promised a, a friend of his who bought it that you know he'd go recover it and bring it back to Nashville. He had no other drivers to to call on to do it over a weekend, so. Uh, so, uh, if you got the right price, and which he did, so I jumped on my bike and I headed down to Nashville. I get down there, I meet up with him, he gives me keys to the, the wrecker rig, and uh, he gives me directions, the uh, details of the truck. It was, uh, what I was looking for was a 1976 uh, Kenworth. Um, kind of ironic, because... Uh, me and the truck were born the same year, <laughs> but uh, it, it seemed like it was going to be fun enough because you don't see too many of that age around anymore, so uh, I get the truck ready, and I head on down to uh, southeastern Louisiana, um, not not quite on the water, but uh, out in the bayou nonetheless, I mean, nothing but country dirt roads everywhere you looked um, and not a lot of room with uh, 70 feet of truck I'll give it that but I uh, finally found the uh, the driveway I was supposed to be looking for and uh, wiggled it on to the driveway and wiggled up the driveway about a half a mile which looked like it was going to dead end for a while but I eventually came to this clearing out in the swamp little clapboard house and uh there's the truck sitting right next to it couldn't believe the shape this thing was in i mean it was immaculate it looked like it just drove off the showroom floor i I felt kind of bad i had to drag it up on a trailer instead of hooking it up to one (laughs) but uh little old lady comes out of the house to uh greet me she's got a folder in her hand with the title and all the shop work uh she sat there chatting with me as I was loading it up and chaining it down and uh, revealed to me that her husband, Henry, had owned the truck and that was his uh, pride and joy since he bought it new in 76. He had uh, passed uh, a year prior in it um, on his way back home. He was you know, a mile and a half away from home. Uh, they found him uh, in the truck. It was sitting gently on the shoulder of the road, running. Uh, the brakes weren't even set. And, uh, she went on to tell me um, at night, on uh, Tuesday nights, which was usually when he would leave, the radio would come on and play his Cajun music 
station out of New Orleans. Uh, I took it for what it was worth. It was, you know, old lady looking for somebody I talked to and everything else. I, I was really not the uh, believer that I am now. But, uh, uh, again, you know, haunted houses, maybe haunted truck. Nah, come on. She uh, gives me the folder. She sets me up with a thermos full of coffee and a couple cornbread muffins to go. I thank her for it. And I get back in the truck and I work my way on back out of the bayou around 9 o'clock at night. I haven't seen too much that uh, is as eerie as the uh, the deep southern swampland in the middle of summer at night. It, you get that, well, I certainly felt that whole voodoo mystique and beings, or spirits, rather, present. On with the story, anyway. I got it back toward Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and I had to take some time, pull it over, go get a shower, and pick up a couple tools and odds and ends I was going to need. And, uh, I pull in there, and a bunch of drivers pile out of their trucks that were there already and see, you know, watch me pull in with this old relic. I got it parked and went over to the driver next to me and uh, gave him a 20 spot to make sure nobody stole it or took anything off of it. And uh, I went on in. I guess I was in the truck stop for about an hour and a half. And uh, I come back out. And it's, uh, close to morning about now uh, I'd say about 2 in the morning the driver I'd asked to watch over it was still out there watching over it standing there in front of my truck with his arms crossed and his head tilted to the side with this funny look on his face and uh, I strolled on over there to him the driver something wrong and he was silent for a couple seconds and he looks over at me and he goes I can't figure it out what can't you figure out? What's up? He said, well, believe it or not, he said, everybody done, went on back to their trucks. I was in my truck doing my paperwork. He said, now the corner of my eye in my left side mirror, I thought I had seen the lights on this truck, the exterior lights, come on, go on, and go off. He said, just one time. He said, are you sure that's what you saw now before I left Louisiana I had to disconnect the battery drain the fuel out of the tanks and uh, make sure it was secure and uh, I said I, I, I reassured him I took him over to the battery box on the passenger side of the truck excuse me I opened up the battery box and sure enough I'm like, here you are <laughs> yeah batteries are disconnected I said, it's got no power to it and again, I, I heard what he said, and I, I didn't totally take it for granted. I kind of put it in that folder back there. But at the same time, I didn't take it totally serious. But we both kind of had to come up with a, an explanation <laughs> somewhat for us to be able to get back to our lives. And um, we settled on. It was reflections from a, another truck pulling in and out, whatever. It reflected off the lenses. He went back to his truck. I went back into mine. This is rattling around in my head while I'm trying to lay down and go to sleep. And uh, 
I guess it spurred kind of a, a crazy dream where in my dream I woke up to see this truck sitting off the side of me off my trailer and it takes off by itself and immediately I gave chase to it only to get down the road and it poof disappear right in front of me uh, again this was in my dream but uh, I, it, it was enough to wake me up in a cold sweat nonetheless and uh, I, I could feel just something in the air that was telling me this wasn't totally right and there was something weird about it I get collected and I check the truck over again I get it back out on the road well I get over into Alabama, and it just starts pouring. Yeah, I mean, it's coming down in buckets. I couldn't have gotten any more water if I'd parked under a waterfall. I caught the glimpse of a rest area sign, so I ducked it on over to the right. I'm crawling through the rest area, and I kind of had to get the truck on an angle and a turn to get it lined up in a parking stall. Well... As I'm looking in my left side mirror, make sure my trailer wheels are going to line up into the stall. I go to get my sight focused forward again and out of the corner of my eye in my mirror. I could have sworn I seen the lights on this truck go on and off real quick. That it kind of my stomach kind of uh, sunk. So I kind of sat there for a second. I'm going through my internal library of common knowledge and reasoning trying to come up with an excuse for what's going what what's apparently going on so i'm thinking okay there's got to be <clears throat> another set of batteries on this truck somewhere so i get my rain gear on i get out in the rain and i'm looking up and down left and right inside out underneath on top everywhere no other battery source to be found so i'm kind of befuzzled and I go back around to the original battery box on the passenger side of the truck and I'm looking all around make sure there's no other hot lead uh, just looked over it with a fine tooth comb nothing so I go to close the battery box back up and as I'm moving my head back up in an upright position the corner of my eye was kind of lined up with a passenger side mirror on this truck and I thought I had seen the interior cab light on the ceiling inside come on and go off. This has weirded me out. And I looked around behind me and around me. And I'm the only person in this rest area besides a car that was on the other side of the lot. Kind of over the grass on the other side of the um, rest area building there. But no other humans to be seen, not out in the rain like I was, apparently. I get back in the truck, and it's just still pouring cats and dogs and everything else. And there ain't no way I'm going to drive in this. I set my dinky alarm clock for a couple of hours, and I try to catch a nap. And I found it hard trying to fall asleep, but eventually I got there. My alarm clock didn't do its job sufficiently. And I overslept by about five hours and woke up around 8.30, 9 o'clock that night to a truck air horn. And that's pretty much enough to get a corpse out of the box, if you know what I mean. It's 
definitely not any way you want to get woken up because it'll just fray your nerves totally I jolt out of the bed I'm groggy as everything I'm looking at my watch ah oh, I overslept get my boots on because now I'm throwing the curtain open and I'm going to go out and shoot somebody's head off and I jump out of the truck the rain stopped and I'm looking around and there isn't another truck around me and I have to take a mental step back again think to myself that there ain't no way there is no way so I go jogging out toward the roadway to see if I can see the truck that had just uh, got me out of bed unneededly I get out by the roadside by the northbound lanes a couple cars go by but that was it no truck to be seen I just kinda I shook my head I'm, I'm, I'm in such disbelief at this point and I look at that truck sitting on the back of mine I was getting pretty close to the point to where I was going about to dump this thing off of me because it, it just the weird feeling in my gut and just a weird mystique in the air and everything else so once again I had to get myself collected I go back to my truck and uh, I get my uh, load bar out and go around retighten the chains and I'm putting some angry force into them <laughs> I'm just taking it out on the old truck and I'm cussing it left and right telling old Henry you ain't getting the best of me buddy whether you like it or not you're going back to Nashville <laughs> I get rounded up get back in the truck and I get back on up the road again well, it wasn't much further and I'm just dragging tail I'm not able to fully wake up I'm out of coffee and I need coffee I spotted an old 76 sign off the roadway and I got off on the exit had my fingers crossed that I was going to find a place to park and uh, anyway I get into the truck stop it's kind of one of them deals where the, the driveway kind of horseshoes around back of the station and back there there was a couple spots for a truck to park while well, there's another truck there uh, appeared to be uh, another driver sleeping so I kind of parked on the opposite side as far over as I could so not to uh, wake anybody else up and bad enough I'm having the luck I am with it so uh, get it parked and I go in see if there's any coffee available well there wasn't and uh, I had to bribe the gas station attendant 20 bucks for her to fire up the coffee maker so we're sitting there it was going to take about 12-15 minutes we're talking and uh, I kind of heard subliminally in a way multitasking if you will but while we're talking I kind of out of the far ground I heard what sounded like another truck pulling into that lot it was a you could hear metal slapping and chains rattling um, it wasn't three maybe four minutes uh, we're still talking and apparently the driver to the other truck that was back there was a, a female uh, this female comes bursting through the door hair all over the place hysterical look on her face she's looking around frantically and she sees me and comes marching over pointing at me is that your low boy out back said, yeah what's what's up 
and uh, she just lunges, grabs my arm, drags me out the door and back around. She's pointing at my truck. You gotta come and see this. What what's going on? She stops and she looks right at me. She goes, "I was woken up by that truck on the back of yours, fired up, redlined the engine, and just started hopping around on that trailer trying to bust loose." I, come on, you gotta be kidding me! And I was, I really had to take a take a step back on that one because there's no way. I look over, the truck is totally silent, sitting there all by itself. She was very insistent, and I just, I wasn't really, again, I wasn't to the point of wanting to believe that could actually happen. Truck had no fuel in it, no power. I got her calmed down enough to where I'm like, look, I'm sorry you got woken up. I don't know what this is about, but I can prove it to you. That truck is not capable of firing up. And I led her over there. I cracked open the battery box. I showed down. I pointed the flashlight down on the batteries. I said, what do you see? Well, those batteries are disconnected. I said, exactly. And there ain't no fuel in them tanks. And she just, she kept insisting. And I just, I wasn't to the point to where I was going to call her a liar, but... Um, again, I heard what she said, but I wasn't, I was just totally discounting it. I tried to, you know, reassure, look, go back to your truck, go back to sleep. I'll get this thing out of here. You ain't got to worry about it. So, uh, I get back in it. I pull it around to the side of the station so I can run in, get my coffee, get a hot dog to go, hopefully. And, uh, the attendant, she was all, jumping about what's going on do i need to call the cops i'm like no calm down something happened out there with my truck yeah i made up a dumb excuse i didn't set the brakes it rolled forward let a worker up yada 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 i got what i needed got on out of there got on up the road this is all going through my mind because <laughs> when you drive a truck you got nothing uh, nothing else better to do than to think <laughs> Especially when there ain't a whole lot of traffic out. Going again, going through my library of reasoning and knowledge. and All I knew was I was going to get it back to Nashville, get it off my back, get my check, and go home. <laughs> so that's basically where my... And uh, it's late. I don't even remember what time it was at this point. But uh, I went and looked in my mirror and... Uh, State patrolman pulled up behind me, lights on, beeping his horn. Driver pull over, and I'm thinking to myself, great. <laughs> My bad luck just went to worse. See if I get an award this time. So I pull it over, and I turn the truck off, and I sit there patiently waiting for him to come tell me what I did wrong. Sure enough, he makes it up to my passenger door and uh, just very agitated look on his face and uh just starts uh, screaming and uh, he's asking me questions but at the same time screaming and he just he pulls his gun out driver get out of the truck now okay <laughs> got my hands up 
crawl out slowly. I do everything he tells me. Hands up behind your head. Walk back to my car behind your back. He throws the cuffs on me. Meanwhile, I've asked him already three times, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Nothing. Cuffs me, turns me around, leans me up against the car. Driver, who's in that truck on that's sitting on your trailer? I said, officer, there's nobody in that truck. Driver, who is in the truck that's sitting on your trailer? I said, officer, I've stopped about four or five times since I've picked this thing up. I guarantee you there's nobody inside that truck. <laughs> Driver, if I go up there and there's somebody in that truck, you're going under my jail tonight. Do you understand? And, uh, I, at this point, I'm just ready to say to hell with it all. Whatever. Go ahead. Check it. And, as he was walking away, oh, by the way, tell Henry I said hi, will you? <laughs> he, he turns around. Yeah, don't be a smart-ass look on his face. So he moves on up there with his flashlight and his gun. And he's all up on looking under it and on top. And he's in and out both sides of the truck. Cussing about can't uh, he's not finding nothing scratching his head and he can't figure out why he's not finding somebody in that truck. Well, he eventually works his way back, puts his gun away, and he walks up to me and says, "Well, driver, I think I owe you an apology." I said, "Well, before you go that far, can you first tell me why you pulled me over?" And he pauses for a couple seconds and he goes, "Well." I was parked in the median back there when you went by me. He says, uh, you weren't speeding. You looked okay as you were going by. So, I, you know, I was going to let you go on, he said. But as soon as you went by and I got a look on the back side of you, he said, I noticed the brake lights on this truck that's on your trailer were flashing. And it wasn't hazard style. It had a, a rhythm to it. He said, so I jumped in and gave chase to you to see what's going on. He said, the closer I got to you. He said, I watched those taillights, and I'd recognize them as Morse code, SOS. He said, so that's when I threw the lights on you, pulled you over. <laughs> SOS? Are you kidding me? It's got no power. The batteries aren't connected. There's no possible way. I checked the truck a couple of times. There's no extra batteries on the truck. There's no, no power, nothing connected. Says, uh, driver, I don't know what to tell you. I said, uh, bring your flashlight. And he gets the cuffs off me. We go over there with his flashlight. Prove to him, look, there is no power to this truck. Driver, are you sure there's no other battery? I am positive. And he puts his head down. He's sitting there thinking for a second. He says, well, do you have any compl uh, a complaint you want to file? I said, I, I just want to get this truck to Nashville. He says, driver, you have a good night. And he couldn't get out of there faster. <laughs> I just, I'm standing there on the shoulder. And I, I mean, I, I've seen my share of weird things. And my temper has been tested quite a few times. And I give Bobby... My friend who put me on this job a call. I got him out of bed. 
send another driver down here. I'll, I'll meet him in Birmingham, but they're bringing it the rest of the way back. What are you talking about? What's wrong? I said, man, this thing is cursed. It's voodoo all over. It's something. I said, but lights are coming on. It's starting up by itself. I got cops pulling me over. There's The batteries aren't connected. There's no fuel in it. Nothing. I was like, the, this thing is wigging me out. I'm on the verge of losing it. <laughs> Send me a shrink while you're at it. He's like, what kind of drugs are you on, Lee? I'm, I, dude, I'm telling you, there's something weird about this truck. And we went back and forth, back and forth. Eventually, he coaxed me into bringing it the rest of the way. Well, <laughs> I get it back up to Nashville in the morning. I parked the trailer by one of the shop doors so all he had to do was tilt it up and roll the thing right into the shop and I got away from it I parked the truck end of it on the other end of the lot and I just sat there until Bobby came in the morning I just stared at it in that time span is when I, I finally had to come to terms with there is something in that truck <laughs> and it did not want to leave home I tried to explain this stuff to Bobby. He didn't want to hear it. And when we finally got it, the truck off the trailer, if you looked on the deck, you saw eight rectangular marks where the rear tires were setting, where it evidently was spinning on, spinning out on the deck. I'm trying to put two and two together for him, and he just really wasn't hearing it. He was almost ready to send me for a drug test. <laughs> but... um it just it was a really strange occurrence in my life and since then yeah it's been a weird ride but it definitely humbled me uh in a lot of ways to where it, being human has a lot more it makes a lot more sense <laughs> if you will i've seen the truck one other time actually last year i was coming out of reno in the middle of the night uh, and I was about the only one out on the road. I hadn't seen anybody for a while. And I looked at my mirror and a truck came up over the hill behind me, coming up on me. And I'd get on the radio and try to get the driver on it. And uh, tell him, you know, go ahead and get in the left lane. Well, wasn't getting nobody on the radio. And the closest truck got, I could tell it was an old, older KW. I thought, huh. So he got a little closer, and the closer he got, the more I noticed this was the same paint job on that truck of uh, old Henry. And my stomach just hit my feet. I'm like, oh man! And I keep looking in my mirror, and I'm trying, I'm still trying for the driver on the radio, nothing. And as the truck is going by me at ten clicks faster than me, uh, I noticed all the windows were mirror tinted like aviator sunglasses so you couldn't see in but uh just kept right on getting it with a flatbed of coils and i, I flashed flashed them anyway with the lights telling me to come back over from the left lane and honked the horn and flashed me back and just kept right on going so uh whether there was a driver in at that time or not i have no idea but uh it wouldn't surprise me nonetheless there you go hope you enjoyed it and like i said i'm much rather would have done it this way i tried to type it out but it was way way too long <laughs> but um enjoy your show i'm gonna keep on listening and uh have a good one lex 
Have a good one, listeners. I'm Lee, and I'm out of here. Later. And that's a story from yesteryear. It's from the old Anything Ghost archive, and that was from Lee in Delaware, The Haunted Truck. And the musical interlude that I put together and was meant to introduce an Anything Ghost archive story was my rendition of a glam rock song from the early 70s. It was sung by Motha Hoople. It's called The Golden Age of Rock and Roll. Look up Motha Hoople and buy The Golden Age of Rock and Roll. And that's it for Anything Ghost number 290. We're getting close to number 300. And if you want to share a story for any upcoming episodes, send them to lex at anythingghost.com or fill out the form on anythingghost.com. It's either a contact or a story form. Just You'll see it when you get there. And don't forget to check out the VIP group if you want 15 or 16 years of Anything Ghost. A lot of stories there for you. Okay, everybody, thanks for your stories for this episode. And I'll talk to you in show number 291 of Anything Ghost. Until then, have a wonderful time and take care.